take your Bibles with me this morning, <clears throat> excuse me, and turn to Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4, beginning with verse 1, we'll be looking at the first 14 verses this morning. As we look at and we think about Nehemiah's exhortation to the to the people here to remember the Lord is something that we do well to remember. So we come to Nehemiah chapter 4. It's a reminder to us that progress and that success is oftentimes very quickly followed by challenges, difficulties, temptations to, to quit. There have been many... Uh, projects that we've stepped into, many an endeavor that we've envisioned, and we've had many good beginnings of things, have we not, that have started well, and then as we went along, the progress began to slow because of challenges that maybe that were expected, maybe some that were unexpected, but you just start, you get into a task, and you realize that, boy, this is hard, this is hard work, (laughs) this is really much more draining on me than I thought it would be. You know, we started with all the the zeal and all the excitement of let's go, let's do it. And then you get into just the routine of doing it and it's it's tough. And I think we see something of that taking place here with with the workers and the builders of those. We see the work begun there in chapter 3. It was laid out of who was doing what, where. And just a, a multitude of those hands-on people coming in to be a part of the work. But the temptation is always there to quit, to not follow through. So we've seen the builders. They've made great progress. But again, they can look. There's been much done, but there's much that remains to be done. And that's the Christian life, isn't it? You know, we can look at wherever we've come to, but we'll look at where we are and say, boy, there's, there's still a long way to go. And so the challenges are starting to, to rise up around the people on various fronts here in uh, Nehemiah chapter 4. And we're going to look at these challenges here and see why it's so appropriate that Nehemiah gives the word to them. Remember the Lord. And why that word is so appropriate for us today that we need to be those who remember the Lord. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1 and following. Now it came about that when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall... He became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. And he spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was near him and he said, Even what they are building, if a fox should jump on it, it would break their stone wall down. Then verse 4, Nehemiah's prayer. Hear, O Lord, how we are despised. Return their reproach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out before thee. He's kind of... He's kind of riled up here, isn't he? For they have demoralized the builders. One of these imprecatory prayers. One of these prayers that calls for the the judgment of God upon his enemies. Verse 6. So we built the wall and the whole wall was joined together to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. 
Now it came about when Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the remain, the repairs of the walls of Jerusalem went on, and that the breaches began to be closed, they were very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. But we prayed to our God. And because of them, we set up a guard against them day and night. Thus in Judah, it was said, the strength of the burden bearers is failing. Yet there is much rubbish and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see until we come among them, kill them and put a stop to the work. And it came about when the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times they will come upon they will come up against us from every place where you may turn. Then I stationed men in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, the exposed places, and I stationed the people in families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. When I saw their fear, I rose and I spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. You know, it would be nice to think, as I look out across the congregation here, and I think maybe my own life, my own experience, it would be nice to think that today's message really has no relevance for any of us. So let's just test and see if today's message is going to be relevant. We're going to talk about discouragement. Does that apply to anybody in here? <laughs> anybody, been, anybody been discouraged this week? <laughs> Last week? You ever had any of that? Do you deal with that? Well, if you do this, we'll preach on. If you do this, we'll go outside and play basketball or something. <laughs> we have, haven't we? Boy, it just comes. It just comes time after time. Discouragement. You know, this week we can think back. Maybe you've had a good week. And you can think back two weeks ago. Just times of discouragement. How do you handle that? How do you handle discouragement? I like chocolate. That helps. <laughs> Sometimes we just like to go lay down and go sleep, don't we? A lot of ways to, natural ways we look at trying to get over discouragement. What our text presents to us, I think what is the golden opportunity. If there was ever a people that had a, a right and a golden opportunity to be discouraged, it's the workers here in Nehemiah chapter 4. And Nehemiah, Nehemiah's counter was to direct his and, and the minds of others again, God, as we've seen already in this in this book and these three chapters previous to here, is that he's directing their minds and their thoughts to God because our God is the Lord of heaven. And he says, you remember, you remember in verse 14, the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember him when the, the battle is fierce, when the temptation to quit is very real, when discouragement is pressing in around us because of the foes here. Find our encouragement in the Lord. Well, what are the circumstances here that Nehemiah sees and circumstances that are likewise just as common for us, the times that we need to be reminded, remember the Lord? Well, first time, one occasion that we need to be reminded as he sees, as he sees here in this situation 
is when the facts affirm our fears. Sometimes all you have to do is just take a, a very real look around. And those fears that you had, you look around and there's reason for those fears, right? Because everything that you see affirms what you're afraid of. Just take a look. And it's, that's all there. Here we have in Nehemiah that there was a great work in chapter 3 that had begun. You know, they've started the wall. They've started laboring. They've got so many people involved. Who would have envisioned that so many people would have this vision, would capture this vision? And they cut out by the masses. There's a great spirit of dedication demonstrated in verse 6 as, we, as we've seen Verse 6 here. We built the wall and the whole wall was joined together to half its height. Why? Because the people had a mind to work. Or a heart to work. Applying themselves to it. But then there's also the fact. Verse 10. Fatigue was beginning to set in. And beginning to take its toll upon the people. So that it says in verse 10. Thus in Judah it was said. The strength of the burden bearers is failing. Yet there is much rubbish and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall what's he saying here it's like this little ditty this little song had kind of began to arise among the laborers there in judah something to the effect of the laborers are becoming weary tired and yet there's so much yet to be done there's so much rubbish we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. We're never going to get this done. So it's become so much of a thing, they've, it's almost like a song or a rhyme. And everybody's tired. There's so much work to be done. We're not going to get it done. That's a fact. Fatigue's there. There's a fact. There's a mess still. There's a lot of it still there. The wall's been working. It's only half its height. It's a fact. It's a fact in verse 6 that there was a lot of energy expent, but still a lot to be done. And this wall that they built has nothing, even when they completed it, it has nothing of the former glory. It's not like it used to be. It's not even of the same, the same parameters. It doesn't cover as much of the areas as the original wall did. So how long will the people continue when the facts of the difficulty set in? See, it's one thing to have that initial zeal, isn't it? We talked about it. It's, it's one thing to, to start with all the zeal and the excitement of, yeah, let's all get here. Let's all labor side by side. You know, you're working and your guys next to you are working. You're talking about all kinds of different things. Having a great time. It's fun for an hour or so. <laughs> a day or so. Maybe a week or so. But then, you know, it's just flat out work and you're out of conversation and you're not talking anymore and you're just moving rubble and you're trying to rebuild the wall. The zeal is, is gone. So it becomes quite another thing to see a task through to the very end. The difficulty of the labor. This is hard work. And the slowness of the progress. We've been out here for weeks and look. It's not done. When it is, again, we said last week, it's done in seven weeks. But still, they've got week two they've got to work through. Week three they've got to work beyond. So it's a, it's a slow task. But what's the lesson to be learned here? It's this. It's the importance of knowing God's hand in guidance. To knowing that 
the task that they have begun. The task that they started was not something that was stirred up by their own initiative. Again, it was God who who worked before them. God who made the way for them. It was God who stirred this passion within Nehemiah. And it was God who stirred the hearts of His people to be diligent in the labor, to remember the Lord in this, to not be blinded to the ultimate fact behind all the other facts that you see. We don't deny them. You know, you don't deny the fact that you are fatigued. You don't deny the fact that you've worked hard and there's still a lot of rubble. There's still a lot of work to be done. You don't deny the fact, but nor do you forget, nor do you abandon the ultimate fact, and that is the Lord God is with you. He has called you to this task. You are doing it for His glory, for His namesake. There's the ultimate fact that must be cast before the people. To remember God's hand in guidance. There's a hymn we sing. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. There's a one, I think it's the second stanza in that hymn. It, it starts out, Here I raise my mine. Here I raise mine Ebenezer. You ever wonder what that meant? How many of you know what it means there when you're saying, Here I raise my Ebenezer? You know why it's there. Okay, we got it. Well, that's those we get to we get to talk about it a little bit. Well, you know the song, Here I Raise Mine Ebenezer. It's part of the part of the hymn there. You know, what in the world is that? You know, is that me raising my arm up, my foot? You know, what is my Ebenezer? What is that? Well, actually it goes on if you read the next line of hymn, tells us a little bit about it. It says there, Hither by thy help I'm come. In fact, one of the, the newer hymnals, I, don't, I remember I was looking at it in another hymnal, they've changed it a little bit. Hitherto thy love has blessed me. They don't sing, here I raise my Ebenezer anymore because nobody knows what it means. They sing, hitherto thy love has blessed me. <laughs> Which is fine, but the original line, here I raise my Ebenezer, comes from 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. And here, Samuel is leading the nation of Israel at a point of, of national repentance. It's a, it's a wonderful occasion. The people are repenting for their sin. They've been defeated already at, at the hands of the Philistines. So they're in a good repenting mood here. So they're in this time of national repentance. They've all gathered around. And guess what happens here? The Philistines say, hey, let's go get them here. The, and they're already, they've already routed them once. And here they are. Let's go get these... These Hebrews, let's go get them now while they're all together there. And so the people there repenting before God. Here come the Philistines to come charging in. And here's what happens. God routs the Philistine army before Israel. In other words, the Philistine army is defeated. Well, from that event, Samuel takes a stone. He takes this stone and he sets it up between the places called Mizpah and Shin, the scripture tells us there. And he names this stone. And the name of this stone is Ebenezer. And that means the stone of help. It's a testimony there testifying of God's help. And it's saying this. We are right here where we are because the Lord has helped us. Thus far, the Lord has helped us. This is where He's brought us to. So this stone was set up. Which is a testimony of, 
of what our expression before God is and is, is to be that we are where we are by God's gracious undertaking. Because they already realize, if you go back one more chapter, go back a chapter in First Samuel, they already realize they've been beaten already by this army once. And they were beaten at that time when they had, they thought, the good part. They had the Ark of the Covenant. We can't get beat. This is, we've got the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God with us. What happens? They get beat and the Ark of the Covenant is even taken from them. Now they're in a place of repentance. The Ark of the Covenant they don't even have. And here come the Philistines again. And they win. God routs the Philistine army. So the obvious thing is, we are here because of God's gracious intervention. Well, Nehemiah's Ebenezer is God's prior faithfulness. He can look back in the events as we read in Nehemiah's chapter 1 and 2 and 3. He can look back and he can think back and he can remember God has been faithful. That this was begun not as something to make a name for myself. This was initiated in my heart for the glory, for the passion of God. God has brought me here. I need to remember the Lord here. And so do you, people. You need to remember the Lord who is great and who is awesome. Yes, the facts tell against us. You can look and it's real. The difficulties, the challenges, they're real. But don't forget the ultimate reality, the ultimate fact. And that is God has brought us here thus far. Now, do you believe He's brought you here to abandon you? Do you believe that He's brought you thus far so that you might now fail and become a mockery? No. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Remember what God has done. Remember where God has brought you. At Cornerstone Chapel here. To remember as we take on new ventures. You know, some of the ventures, some of the things that we do, they may just seem to die out. They may go, that just didn't work. Well, that's okay. We're not going to get hung up by that. We're just going to remember the Lord. Lord, we're here to serve you. We're not going to make a great name for ourselves. We're here to make much of the name and the glory of God. And so we, are, we give ourselves and we think about what God has done. We think about what, how God has met and rather be discouraged if we try something that just seems to fall flat on its face. We remember the faithfulness of God. We remember the goodness of God. We think of how He has answered our prayer. So we press on without a paralyzing fear of failure. You know, you know what I mean there? The time that we just were so afraid of failure, we do nothing. Because we don't want to fail. I'll be honest with you. I tend toward that. I have to work against that. I, I tend to do nothing out of fear of failure. When many times you just got to be willing to go out there and make a fool of yourself. Take the chance and go with prayer. Go with those things that we believe that God's directed. But don't be afraid of failure. We press on. We need to have a healthy fear of not even trying. We need to have a fear of doing nothing. Now, what are the fears, maybe on a personal level? What are the fears that threaten your God honoring intentions? 
You know, you may look out and the facts around you, the facts of your circumstances, they affirm your fears. You thought, well, I started in something and it's it's really more than I imagined or it's bigger than I can handle. But listen, if God, if God has birthed a vision in your heart for a ministry, He's he's birthed in your heart for a deed of kindness or mercy, maybe an ongoing ministry to someone, if God's done that, go for it. Do it. Give yourself to it. Let that vision be rekindled within you. Don't be stopped by the mere facts if you believe that God has stirred up within you a task or a mission or work for Him. Do it. Go for it with all of your heart. You know, some of us here, me included, have abandoned dreams. Things that somewhere back in in your life, you can look back and you know, God really kindled something in my heart. And it's, and it's just died. You know, maybe God wants to rekindle that within you. Maybe you just need to spend some time and say, Lord, I can look back, I can think very specifically, very specifically, of where I thought that it was of you, that, that I do this, that I go this direction, whatever the case may be, and I just kind of let it die. Lord, if this is of you, as Nehemiah could testify, this is of you, would you be gracious and rekindle the passion in my own heart for this, for what you desire for me to be involved in? You know, there are facts. There will always be those facts that affirm our fears, but there is always the greater fact, and that is that God is with us. Remember, remember the Lord. We need to remember the Lord when facts affirm our fears. We need to remember the Lord when foes arise with fury. We see that here, don't we? We've seen the enemies of God, the enemies of God's people, God's work, the enemies of God's man rise up, and here they are again. In Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1, it came about that when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry. And he mocked the Jews. And then down to verse 7, it came about when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem went on that they and that the breaches began to be closed, they were very angry. You know, they're not just sitting back indifferently anymore. They're upset. Of course, Sanballat was upset earlier, but he's got them all riled up now. Everybody's mad. All the enemies. And notice here the nature of their tactics. They come in, first of all, with the taunting, verses 2 and 3. Notice the words here of Sanballat. He spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria. In other words, he's got his crowd. He's just listening to him. And this is what he's saying. What are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? And you can bet that he was saying this within earshot of many of those who were doing the work. Verse 3, Tobiah the Ammonite was near him and he said, even what they're building, if a fox should jump on it, it would break their stone wall down. Ridicule. What do you say? That's not, that's not a big deal. Ridicule. You've never been ridiculed by someone about something you're doing to all of a sudden what seems so good to you sounds foolish to your own ears. You've never laid your hand to a task and stopped it because somebody made fun of it. Let me tell you something about ridicule. 
It's a very, very powerful resource. And they know that. Just to come in with the ridicule. You know, we understand that even with joking, we need to be careful even when we're joking one another and our ridicule that we don't hurt somebody's feelings. I mean, it's powerful. It's powerful. The words that we speak, you know, you do know, sticks and stones will break my, may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Yeah, that's not true, is it? Ridicule is particularly effective when there's already room for doubt. There's room for doubt. Again, why? Because the people have seen the facts. There's a lot of work to be done here. So there's room for doubt. And when you have that, and then you have these words that are thrust out by the enemy, and there's just just a taste, just a tinge of truth. You know, the enemy's not always not always telling a lie. Sometimes he tells the truth. He does. And so sometimes these these people would rise and they come in with just their elements of truth. And here is Sanballat. What does he say? He speaks there. These feeble Jews. And who amongst those Jews would think, well, we're not feeble. <laughs> no, they were and they knew it. Who are these feeble Jews? What are they doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Do they really think that they can accomplish such a task? Just throw in a little bit of a question to somebody. You think you can accomplish this? You know, somebody says something to me. I'm all, all of a sudden, I'm thinking, well, you know, maybe, maybe this, this isn't something I can do. It's very effective. Just throw out that little question. Put a little question in their mind. And stuff. They think they can really handle this job. Then the next thing he says there. Can they offer sacrifices? What does he mean there? Most commentators think that what he's implying is this. Are they going to pray down a miracle from their God? They're going to offer a sacrifice and God is going to intervene miraculously and set this wall up. Will they finish in a day? Hey, this didn't happen overnight. It's not going to get done overnight. You've got to keep working and applying yourselves. Even as they examine the work from the, as the enemies on the outside, they realize, hey, this isn't going to going to happen fast. So, the words there, taunting, ridicule, and just that mix of truth in there so that the people say, you know, they got a good point. You know, we are kind of feeble here. We're not. There's not a lot of us. We're tired. We're not wealthy. And uh, this is really more than a task than we can handle. That's quite a job. And, you know, God's not going to just come down and build this wall. It's not going to be a miracle. What in the world are we doing this for? And then Tobiah, he's a clever little fellow, isn't he? Tobiah, verse 3, Tobiah the Ammonite. He's nearby and he said, well, if they, what they're building, if a fox comes and he jumps on it, he's going to break that stone wall down. What he says, he's saying, the nuts says saying this, you are wasting your time. It's a waste. It's a waste of time and energy and resources. So then the best laid plans are made to seem as though there's something foolish. It works, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Especially when there's room for doubt already. 
And then there's that there's enough truth mixed in there. You know what they're saying. You know, it has the ring of truth to it. Makes good sense. So taunting was one thing. Then the other thing we see here is the threatenings. Verse 8. All of them conspired together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. All those that are mentioned there in verse 7. Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashtadites. They're all there. All coming. And then verse 11. And they're our enemies. This is what the enemies were saying. They will not know or see until we come among them. We kill them. We put a stop to the work. What are they saying? Oh, we're going to infiltrate. And before you know what's happened, we've been there and we've got you. Well, is that a genuine concern? The, the issues of those who are threatening in verse 8 of conspiring to come and to fight against Jerusalem. Is that a genuine concern? Well, let's think about this. Sanballat of Samaria is to the north. Tobiah of Ammon is to the east. One way or the other here. Depends on which way we're looking, right? <laughs> the Arabs to the south. The men of Ashdod to the west. So what do you think? If there's a genuine concern there? <laughs> yeah, I think so. There's a genuine concern there because the city of Jerusalem is surrounded. They've got their enemies on all four sides conspiring together to come and to stop this from happening. Well, is it a genuine threat? I mean, is it really something that's going to happen? Will they really do anything? Maybe not in full force because they understand to do that. They'd be going against King Artaxerxes who has sent Nehemiah, commissioned him to do this task and even providing uh, the wood for that. But there's always the little guerrilla warfare, you know. We see it, don't we, in Iraq? We see it in Israel. Somebody comes in, makes their shot, go out. And you have suicide bombers that don't go out. And in this situation, they can make their little subtle attacks, come in, pull out, and, you know, oh, we didn't know anything about that. You know, it's not us. So then they, they are free from reprisals by King Artaxerxes. So there's at least the probability of some type of action being taken and Nehemiah takes it serious because he says that they prayed in verse 9 we prayed to our God <laughs> he's serious but we also set up a guard against them he took it serious so the foes they arise with fury and God's kingdom God's work always has its foes does it not? and they fight with you know, we even see in the world, in our culture for us today, you see, see the strong anti-Christian, anti-biblical sentiment that is among so many in the, our people of the world today, and again in our society. You speak of biblical morality regarding things like euthanasia, regarding things like abortion, regarding things like homosexuality. It's not just anti-Christian, anti-Bible. It's anti-God. Because the Scripture is God's Word and the Christians are God's people. And it's not always delivered in such gracious terms, is it? In fact, most times it comes with what? It comes with fury. 
Well, they're infuriated. There have been people infuriated with this about Terry there in Florida. While the government should pull their hands out of this altogether, this is no place. They don't, they're not concerned about the fact that it's responsibility of protection of life. Abandon that principle. Abandon that law. And you have what you have there. The fury that raises that rises up when you speak out against homosexuality as a sin against God. It's fury. Well, Paul's reminder to to us and to the saints. First of all, in Ephesus, he tells the saints there in Ephesians, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. First of all, we're not we're not battling this on a human plane. That's not where the real ultimate battle is. And yes, it's manifested through flesh and blood. The battle comes forth through real people. It does. But that's not the heart of the battle. The real battle is that which is taking place behind that. It's, it's the spiritual warfare that's taking place. So he tells the saints at Corinth, he says, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they are divinely powerful. They are power, powerful only because they are of God. Those are the weapons of our warfare. Not flesh and blood. Not what we can do with our hands and our minds and our mouths. But what goes forth by the Spirit of God through us. So Nehemiah's response to the challenges that come forth from his enemies in verse 4. His response from uh, to Sanballat and Tobiah in verse 4. Is not to respond kind with kind. There's not an exchange here of barbs. Barbs who can come forth with the most clever little saying here. Well, you're, what you said, that's really nice. But listen to what I can say about you. You're just a little nobody out here in the little of nowhere. Who do you think you are? You know, he doesn't address them at all. Because that's not the battle. He remembers the Lord. And so what do we see here in verse 4 and 5? His prayer. He prays. It is what's called an imprecatory prayer. It's a prayer that's brought forth and it calls for God to bring His judgment upon these people who are the, the clear enemies of God. But what He's ultimately is doing this is let this be God's issue and let God deal with it as He will. These are His foes, His enemies. So the issue here doesn't become the strength of one group of people versus the strength of another group of people. It is their strength, the enemies and the foes of God versus God's strength. And if you want to go up against God and fight, go at it. But it's not going to be flesh and blood versus flesh and blood. They've, to- they've taken the battle here and the battle is against God. It is God's strength, not mine. That's the issue. So when the foes of God arise in our lives, in their fury, it's not a matter of how wise I can be, how clever I can be, whatever the case may be. It is a matter of looking to the Lord and saying, Lord, you do with this as you please. It's your problem. And number three, a time that we need to remember the Lord is when our friends appear to falter. What's well, a great test of faith, isn't it? When your friends, those who have stood with you, those who have encouraged you, seem to begin to start wavering. You know, Nehemiah's help, as we saw back in in chapter 3 last week, 
Nehemiah's help had come from a variety of the surrounding cities. There were groups for men from particular cities. Verse 5 of chapter 3, you know, people from Tekoa. People from different areas and regions came in to help and to be a part of this work simply because there were not enough people who lived in the city of Jerusalem to do the work. Nobody wanted to live there. It wasn't safe. So they lived in these surrounding outlying regions. But they came in from these regions and they came in in mass to do this work. <coughs> So we recognize that the help came from these outside areas, these outside cities and these communities. But now comes the challenge of keeping these people to the task here. Verse 12. It came about when the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times, they will come up against us from every place where you may turn. What's, what's going on here? It's a call from home. It's a call from home to those who have left these outlying areas to come into the city of Jerusalem. They are calling in for the people who have gone in and say, you need to come home. Either for fear of threat to them and they need their men. Or fear of threat upon Jerusalem and they'll experience the attack. And if you just go back home, they won't bother you. So it's a call from the home folks. A call to come home to safety. That's a strong pull, isn't it? Yeah. That's a strong one when mama calls. <laughs> or the wife calls. That's when, yeah, this is serious. Here. I can't just ignore this. So it's a call, a strong pull, and recognize, Nehemiah recognizes that, to which he responds. Look how he responds in verse 13. I stationed men in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, the exposed spaces, and I stationed the peoples in families. <laughs> I station the people in families with their swords and their spears and their bows. You're not fighting just for the stranger next to you. You're fighting for the people you love and you know, your families. When I saw the NASB ads, I saw their fear. I rose and I spoke to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. That's what it's all about here. Who is great and awesome. And you fight. You fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your houses. You fight. You fight like you've never fought before. Remember the Lord and fight. You know, we must be certain that our cause and that our purpose is not man-oriented or man-originated, but from God. People, people will falter. People will falter. The person that you may, as far as you can tell, they're the most spiritually deep and strong person you know. Let me tell you something. They will falter. At times. Because they're flesh and blood too. Sometimes they will change. Sometimes they will just simply go another direction. It's not so much a right and wrong, but they're not there with you as they once were. But we hold steady to the course if we remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. 
You know, the psalmist again tells us it's one of those times where you look to the psalms and just encouraged by the honesty there. But the, the psalmist, I think Psalm 40, 42, he says to himself, says, Oh, soul, why are you cast down? Why are you cast down? And his response to this is, Hope in your God. Hope in your God. Sometimes we just need to talk to ourselves, don't we? So I'm discouraged. Cast down in my soul. Well, just ask yourself, soul, why are you cast down? Why are you cast down? Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. You're discouraged. Anybody being discouraged? Remember the Lord. Remember, He's the reason you do what you do. Even if it means you're doing it alone. He's the reason. He's the reason you do what you do, even if nobody else ever says, thanks, I appreciate what you're doing. He's the reason. It's for Him. So as Nehemiah gets the people, gets the people here to this point, his word to them is, don't be afraid. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. And fight. Fight. Well, I hope that as we we each experience those battles where we're tempted to give in to discouragement. That we'll just take the heart of these words, remember the Lord. That's that's just a that's the beginning. Sometimes you say, Well, I'm trying to remember the Lord. I seem like the Lord's just kind of bombed out. Where is it? You know, where are you, Lord? Remember the Lord. Remember the faithfulness of God. Remember the words of God. Remember how He's met you in times past. Remember the Lord for who He is in truth. Let's pray. Lord, so often we forget. We forget of the deliverances of the past. We forget of your grace. We forget of your demonstrations of love. And we're so taken up by the immediate. We're so taken up by the the visible facts that we see that we forget the invisible. That you're great. That you're awesome. That you're faithful. That you're true to your word. You're true to your people. And I pray that as we are tempted in even the events of this coming day, this coming week, to be discouraged. Lord, that we would find our hope anew and afresh in the true and the living God. Oh, Lord, that our hearts would delight in you. And in reality, if, if nothing else is right, if the facts feed our fears, if the foes arise, if our friends even abandon, that we have you. And that you're enough. Lord, let that be true for our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.